Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Green and Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Well, I'll tell you what, Sam, what a voice this man has got. We've heard this voice at the women's game, we've heard this voice on Premier League Productions, we've heard this voice across all platforms on the BBC. It's Andy bloody Sixsmith, Sam Mulner. Uh, the way you started off that introduction, it made it sound like we had that Geordie X Factor winner coming on. What was his name? Um, Geordie X Factor winner. Um, the one oh, that. Oh, Joe McCaldry? Yes, yes. He had that campaign again. Well, not against him personally, but remember when Rage Against the Machine, we got to know Christmas number one instead of him. Um, I, I was very much a part of that movement and uh, went to the free Rage Against the Machine gig at Finsbury Park the following summer. But uh, yes, Andy Sixsmith. Yeah, what a fantastic. This this one will absolutely fly by. Fantastic energy about the guy. Um, disclaimer in some in some uh, areas for those easily offended by language uh, Andy does like an F and a Jeff here and there but um, nothing too nothing sinister um, but yeah it's it was a really really fun Newcastle United chat it was a little bit extravagant shall we say in terms of some of the conversations that we spoke to Andy about because it's not necessarily some of the conversations we would talk about because Andy gets up close and personal with a couple of <laughs> Newcastle players in more ways than one and we'll, we'll mention that because Sam's looking at me with a bit of kind of disbelief. In more ways than one? No, I thought it was just very much an interviewer sense. Well, let's just, let's just get, let's get the, uh, the listeners to decide when they talk about conversations uh, when Andy talks about conversations with Bruno Guimaraes, let's say, for example. And yeah. um, we will uh, we will see what, how how people feel about that. But he, he does get to interview Bruno Gimmerish, Sean Longstaff, Dan Byrne, Nick Pope on a, on a Callum Wilson on a weekly basis. Nearly it, it must be it must be quite it must be a quite a nice feeling at, at this moment in time, Sam. If you could um, if you could say I don't know if you could speak to Sean Longstaff for fifteen minutes, and you, what would be your first question? Uh, will you be my best friend? Well, I'm sure. Uh, actually, no, that's pretty bleak, isn't it? Because I do have friends, believe it or not. Um, I don't know. I've always been a, I've, I've always been a Sean Longstaff fan. So, but you know, at the same time, I'm at an age now where I can. I'll just talk to anyone for who they are and not what they are. You know. So, like, similar. How we? I mean, look, we 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 when we interviewed Maxie and Isaac Hayden and. We've done some pretty big names ourselves. I've done Shearer twice. You you uh, haven't once. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is, isn't it? So, I don't know. I don't know what I'd, I would ask Sean first. How are you? Hi, pal. It's a, good, it's a good thing I'll start the first question off so you can kind of just, you know, relax and get into the swing of things, isn't it? No, no, no. I, I didn't realise you meant like... Hi, Sean, um, can you be my friend? Uh, sure, will you be my best friend? Um, can we go and play golf? Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought you meant like just in general terms, not in an interview situation. God help you if you do have an interview. Oh, I'll be fine. Breathe. Absolute breeze. Consummate so, pride. Sean, Sean, can you tell me a little bit about... Didn't realise I, sp- I spoke like that. 
Can you tell me what, what service station's your favourite? Oh, Sean would love Gloucester. Oh, would he really? Sean would have a wild boar sausage roll from Gloucester Services, no problem. To be fair, it's really good, but it's nearly as good as it's not as good as T-Bay, I should say. Well, they're very they're, they're akin to each other, Gloucester and T-Bay. Uh, T-Bay is the Gloucester of the North. For our service stations fans out there. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Uh, but let's move it back a little bit to the interview with Andy um, yeah, he, I, I want to touch on the women's team actually because he is the announcer for Newcastle Falcons and Kingston Park and obviously in that in that, uh, in that time Newcastle United women have been playing in the last 12 to 14 months at Kingston Park thanks to the new owners of the football club in it's starting to really pick up. It's at least maybe at least seventeen hundred to two thousand fans coming every single week in twenty twenty three. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Andy's voice is now synonymous. He talks about you know trying to sell ice cream in minus two degrees, which was absolutely brilliant. I have to be honest, but you can tell there's an excitement with everything revolving around the Newcastle United women's team as well. So you know Andy's voice is all over at the minute, but. Again, when you hear his voice, it kind of makes you smile because he knows he's he's putting the enthusiasm and the effort in, in in regards to what he's doing. Absolutely, and we should just say St James's Park, April sixteenth, um, the day after Villa away. Get yourselves down there for the last game of the women's season, St James's Park. The women might be, and if all goes to plan, fingers crossed, touch wood, and all that jazz, they'll be lifting a a league trophy come the end of the day. So uh, get yourselves down there. Um, Great family day out, ridiculously reasonable pricing. I think what three quid for adults, one pound for juniors. Um, so yeah, do that. And Andy's obviously being playing, as you say, a big part uh, on the, the kind of women's match day experience um, at Kingston Park, which is their their home now, pretty much. I think they've only played at Druid Park once all season. Yeah, not many times. I think it's only been a couple, but just to slightly correct, that was the last home game of the season. There are still two more games after that for Newcastle United women as well. They've got Leeds. Is there? Yeah, they've got I Leeds. I thought that the was before. Out. No, so they've got five. As we record, they've got five games left. They've got Barnsley. Barnsley. That's a massive game. Second versus third at the minute because they've played a couple of games more. But it's in Newcastle United's hands. Five wins from five, even four wins in a draw. Probably will be enough mm. on goal difference, but it's Barnsley, then it's Hull, then it's Bradford at home, Leeds away, and Bradford away on the final day, which is the 30th of April, when you're on your way up to Newcastle. Samuel, to see Newcastle take on Southampton. Oh, they should move that to the day before, as in the women's game, not the, not the men's. <laughs> I was going to say it's a bit unfair for Newcastle to play Everton on the Thursday night and then play Southampton on the Saturday. However, very can you remember so. one time that? Can you remember one time that did happen? Can Newcastle? Because there was uproar. Oh no, I can't remember. That's a fantastic quiz question, though. Give you, I'll give you fifteen more seconds before I tell you the answer. No, just tell me now. What's the point in waiting fifteen seconds? Just in case people want to, at home, while they're listening to this podcast down the service stations near Gloucester and Teabay. They won't. <laughs> just, just, they don't care. They would have skipped. <laughs> well, Newcastle United played a Europa League game. It was a Europa League qualifier, I believe. I think it was the, the, the last game before you get to the group stage. 
against Atromatus, is that how you pronounce it, the Greek side? Yes, I was at Fast Last Racecourse when that happened. And then two days later, after Newcastle tried their up the hardest to try and get their Saturday evening kickoff changed against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, second game of the season. Unfortunately, the Premier League blocked it because ESPN could not have the game on the Sunday lunchtime, which Newcastle requested. It's political correctness gone mad. Yeah, Alan Pardew certainly wasn't happy. Newcastle got beat 2-0 at Stamford Bridge, but they put in a half-decent performance under the circumstances anyway. I mean, we've got a horrendous record there anyway, haven't we? So, yeah, even Fernando Torres scored again against. Yeah, I remember that game now. I remember that game because I was on the I was in the car coming back from Fast Last Race Course. Would you believe? Yeah. Well, let's talk about Andy Sixsmith because we'll finish off with him so we can get this podcast up and running. Um, fantastic sports broadcasting career. I think he'll do very well for himself. Yeah, great guy. Fantastic energy about him, as I say. Um, we'll have to get him back on because this absolutely flew by. Flew by, like you wouldn't believe. So um, this is a really enjoyable show and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. I'm sure we will. So it's about time we get this podcast up and running. So this is the Greenwood and Mulliner Show and it is with Andy Sixsmith. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and the Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today Sam and I are joined by a sports broadcaster who has reported on some of the biggest events around the world, including working for Premier League Productions and the BBC. We are joined by a man who basically speaks to Newcastle players on a regular basis. How amazing is that? This is the man who speaks to Bruno Ginrich, Dan Byrne when Alan Shearer just pops in just, you know, just to say hello. And he's also the voice at Newcastle Falcons, where also Newcastle United women play as well. So you would have heard this man's voice. You would have heard him talking to the best players at Newcastle have had for a long, long time. It is a big welcome to Andy Sixsmith. Andy, welcome to the Green the Morning Show. Yeah, morning, folks. I, I, first of all, apologies that people have to hear my voice because it is a distinctly annoying voice. I don't know. Oh, I, don't know. I, d- I don't know. I think. I think. Well, have you heard us too? I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I, I think you still come out best of the of the trio we've got going on this morning. But I was, but, I was about so, to run, to be honest, and uh, compare it to one of my mates showed me uh, a comment on YouTube the other week from one of the interviews from some bloke who just gets really triggered by me. I, I don't know why. Uh, he's talked quite effusively, and apparently, this lad's has commented on literally every press conference, every player interview, and finally just came up with this rant on YouTube, uh, basically saying how triggered he was by my voice, which, to be honest with you, I find quite amusing, really. I I find quite an accolade. So if he is listening, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're basically telling me, Andy, he's not heard you go, goal score for Newcastle, number 10, Georgia Gibson, and he's been being put off by that. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Apparently so. And the regular uh, ice cream announcements at Kingston Park when it's <laughs> minus two degrees as well. Um, so he's clearly been triggered by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... That, that nearly made the vlog. That nearly made the vlog. We did have a chuckle about that mainly. Uh, <laughs> most recent games. But I have to ask Andy because obviously sports is just incredible. And to be able to talk about it and present about it, it seems, it seems like the perfect job for me and probably for Sam as well. But yes, please. I have got, I have got a little. I think I'm, I'm right in saying, Andy, that you actually had a promising swimming career before you actually got to the stage of being a sports broadcaster and working for Premier League Productions. Did you? Did, I've seen that you've won quite a lot of 
swimming accolades, did you get to the very, very top? Uh, not quite. I mean, someone's done the research, so fair play, because that was a long time ago now that we're talking. Um, no, didn't get quite to the very top. wasn't that good. Um, got up towards like Commonwealth Trials, things like that, um, but was never quite good enough to take that next step. You have to be an absolute superstar, and I was certainly not that. Uh, friends of mine who went to the Olympic, you know, won, won Olympic medals, etc. They did really, really well. But yeah, training 11, 12 times a week in the pool sadly wasn't enough to to go and make England teams for commies and Great Britain teams for Olympics. But uh, yeah, it was, look, it, it was brilliant. I, that That's the beauty of it. You kind of talk about, I'm glad you kind of introduced me as a sports broadcaster because a lot of people look at it and go, well, he works Premier League Productions covering the North, especially Newcastle. And then, you know, BBC final score five live but you know football's not just sport there's so much more out there that you know I love to do I'm very very fortunate that you know I cover rugby union cricket rugby league etc etc you know it's it's better for me in that sense because football you can kind of get a little bit brought down with it because it's it's now a 12 month 365 day event isn't it football so it's nice during the summer to go towards the cricket or nice uh you know nice towards uh, the rugby league and rugby union as well so yeah swimming background but any sport I can lay me paws on or lay me voice on I suppose uh, I will absolutely go for I, I kind of retired after my 25 meter badge from the from the pool didn't want to uh, didn't want to put anyone's nose out of joint just thought no nah, I've done it now done all I can I've, I've, I've achieved what I can, all there all there is it's funny you should say that. As soon as it took 25 metre racing out of the Olympics, I knew I was never going to make it. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I, I'm guessing, Andy, like the job now when you are covering football, especially in and around Newcastle United, the atmosphere around the place is so much more positive than it was, say, 24 months ago, 18 months ago. Oh, it's absolutely chalk and cheese. Absolutely chalk and cheese. And I think before the takeover happened and before the positivity came into not just the club, but the city as well, you know, like living in the city from the city as well. It, it makes such a difference to walk into Greg's and have someone talk to you about Newcastle, you know, beating Nottingham Forest the other week or whatever it might be, or the latest transfer rumours or anything. It's the positivity that's around the city that makes it chalk and cheese to what it was before. Because as much as I love this city, it's my favourite city in the world, it was a truly depressing place when the club is doing badly because the club is inextricably linked to what is happening in the city as well. So before the takeover, yeah, it was a bad time to be kind of around the city as, a, as Newcastle, but also you're going into the press conferences and it's certainly not a nice atmosphere. You know, anyone who covers a club that is literally losing or struggling, shall we say, week in, week out, yeah, it's not nice. We all are very, very, very fortunate to be in the in the jobs that we are, whether we're in broadcast, print, radio, TV, whatever it might be. You know, we are fortunate to be in that job. But when you are having to try and reinvent <laughs> a way of saying they play shite at the weekend again, uh, it, it becomes quite a burden. It becomes quite difficult to do. So when something happens, you know, like, <laughs> like coming up to what, a year and a half ago or so, it's it's quite incredible for that to happen. And yes, slightly biased because obviously Newcastle on a team. But at the same point, it's it was just nice to see that kind of atmosphere lifted and to see what's happened since. Because, you know, the, the things that have happened since, uh, as you guys are well versed, and of course, are just incredible to see. 
um off the pitch on the pitch wherever around the club around the city it's been incredible to witness it's been incredible to to be very very fortunate enough to broadcast on as well and uh yeah long may it continue i suppose yes of course long may it continue you're quite right Andy. i think the last like as you say 16 18 months however long it has been it's, you can just feel it. It's like a tangible feeling across the whole city. And you can just go, wow, this is just amazing. It's an amazing um, city to be involved. It's always has been, but it was just missing something. And now the football team doing so well. It's, it's, it's amazing to be a part of. But when you interview, say, Eddie Howe, or when you're in the press conference with Eddie, Eddie Howe with, the, with your colleagues, or if you're on a one-to-one with a player, what is your approach? going into that what, what are you trying to get out of the player first if we, if we can talk about that and when it comes to asking questions to Eddie Howe how difficult is it because for people that probably don't know you're almost in a queue and if someone nicks your question you think, right what was my backup question what was my backup question to that so what's your approach to uh interviews if you like so I'll cover the press conferences first uh basically ask Razor and ask Keith what they're asking Eddie <laughs> and, <laughs> and we just cheat and say right okay they've got those questions Look, everyone has the different styles as well. You know, Razor tends to ask about, you know, the team news, uh, the latest, biggest headlines. Keith, unfortunately for poor Keith, tends to ask about, have to ask about the controversial stuff, but I know fine well he'd he, he kind of like to ask about more, you know, the more lighthearted stuff, more certainly, but it just depends on who you work for. Myself with Premier League Productions, we, of course, will, will not ask about things like ownership or anything like that because it would be a direct conflict. So I kind of adopt my own style to it and ever since kind of going into broadcasting and this takes into account the interviews as well you ask there what's your kind of first thought how do you prepare for it go and have a conversation with them go and have a chat with them you know like they're just human beings yes Bruno Gimaraes is is an incredible football player and I'm sure that is not the last time I'll mention his name across the next 40 minutes or so because I'm absolutely obsessed with him now uh, but he's a brilliant human as well Dan Byrne, Sean Longstaff, you know, Callum Wilson, Alex Ezak, whoever they might be, these guys are just human beings. And I think people tend to forget that, not necessarily broadcasters, but my style is very much just deal with them as humans. How would you chat to your mates down the pub? You know, ask them the questions that us as fans want to know as well, because I feel that that's where you get the most interesting, you know, reactions from. Uh, certainly from the players. In the press conference, we have to be a little bit more, you know, I say that. I mean, I've asked Eddie some dodgy shit this season, in fact. <laughs> but <laughs> I try and ask a, a, one of the more lighthearted questions to, you know, keep away from the kind of more mundane stuff on team news and injuries and latest results and everything. But, yeah, just I just try and be myself, guys, to be honest with you. And, you know, will that be for everyone? Absolutely, 100% not. Uh, that's totally fine. We live in a world where opinion is key and opinion is, is prevalent on social media and everywhere else as well. I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but as long as I can come home and go, you know what? I had fun. Hopefully the player had a little bit of fun as well, chatting about some random shite like, you know, Anthony Golden the other week, for instance. Anthony's a, a lovely lad. I know he's had quite a bit of bad press, but I take as I find. And Anthony, I've interviewed... Once post-match after the, oh God, was it the West Ham game? Yeah, West Ham game he came on for his for his debut. Um, and then one-to-one -one a couple of weeks ago before the uh, uh, before the Wolves game it was. And what a lovely lad. Like, just a normal lad from, from Liverpool who's just, you know, loving what he's doing right now, loving where he is. 
And I'm asking him about the Metro Centre, that infamous trip, and the fact that he, you know, had a lift back from a fan. I want to know shit like that, you know, from a personal point of view, yeah. not just from a broadcasting point of view. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I prepare, I suppose. I can loosely say prepare. I just end up having a chat with these people, whether it's Eddie, whether it's uh, Anthony, whether it's Alex Ezat, Bruno, whoever it might be. Some players are, you know, a lot more receptive to that. Some players, you know, like I could chat, I could chat with Dan Byrne for for hours. I could chat with Sean Longstaff for hours about just random shit, not necessarily football, but just you know whatever it might be. But I must say, for all of, for most of the Newcastle squad, if not all of them at the moment, they are absolutely brilliant in interview scenarios, and I mean brilliant in the sense that they're not just it's their media training. They're brilliant in terms of just having a normal fucking conversation rather than giving the stilted answers of, yeah, you know what, we'll take each game as it comes and we'll do this, we'll do that. I love hearing what Sean Longstaff has to say about, you know, the Champions League anthem and whether we're going to hear it at St. James's Park. I love hearing Bruno Gimaraes talk about his dad and how he's a bigger celebrity than him in Newcastle at the moment. That's the sort of stuff I love. And that's the sort of stuff that the Newcastle players, you know, talk about on a weekly basis now, which is tremendous. It really is. I mean, Andy, on this podcast, we asked the big questions. So in, in previous weeks, um, we've had people on that, that do sort of what you do as well. I've asked how I, I could imagine Callum Wilson smells amazing. Stuff like that. The big questions. Yeah. My question to you is, I bet, does Bruno, I, I, right, I have it in my head. I can imagine Bruno Gimarias gives a fantastic hug. Oh. Am I, is this correct? That is absolutely Bob on. He does a wonderful, you know, I'll, I'll go back to something, you know, like just after COVID and obviously the fist bumps come in and yeah. there's loads of people who some, some of them go for fist bumps, some of them go for like kind of a handshake, the general handshake, others go for more. I like, always think they want to play rock, paper, scissors. Exactly. And I've done that numerous times. And so have I. <laughs> if you remember Amanda Stavely once did, did that on live, she got captured on TV doing it as well with someone. Anyway, point being, Bruno always goes for the hands up handshake and the hug. And you oh. are absolutely bothered. So twofold. One, I know what he's going to do. So we're not going to play rock, paper, scissors, which is brilliant. It eradicates all doubt from your mind. But second of all, that man has a hug like a kangaroo it's brilliant it's absolutely he wraps you up and it it it, it is the warmest thing that I, I think i've had since i've had the heating on around january time to have a hug from bruno gimaraish it is absolutely sensational it makes you feel all warm and tingly inside so you are absolutely bob on my friend bruno gimaraish probably the warmest hug at newcastle united Good. I mean, someone's earning if they've put the heating on in January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a day, and then after that, I was a bit, I was a bit worried after that. <laughs> yeah, tremendous. <laughs> ball. Absolutely everything. He, uh, oh, he, he's, it's just, you know what, with Bruno, I'm going to move away from his hug for a second. I'm going to move on to that kind of giggle that he gives. And yes. he did it a lot during our last interview because we were just we went off on a tangent, to be honest with you, uh, talking about various things. And he has that kind of it's it's evil, but it's like it's it's ridiculously awesome <laughs> as well. You know which one I mean. He gives an answer, he's like, <laughs> and you're like, 
that must be horrible for a fan of an opposition club to hear, or even a player of an opposition club to hear. But for us, it's like audio gold. Yeah. You know, it's tremendous. So hugs, yes, Bruno's got it. The evil giggle, most certainly. It's one of my favourite <laughs> things to hear. Either that or Longy's laugh. Sean Longstaff's got a really, really good... You can hear that on the other side of a training ground. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I, I do like that style. I have to be honest, Andy, where you can have that... You can build a rapport with the person that you're having, having some interview. So it, it does seem to work. But when it comes to, say, post-match, and that can be anything... It, it, you, you can't, obviously, determine what that's going to be like because, obviously, you don't know the outcome. You don't know whether it's going to be a win, a draw, or a defeat. Obviously, it must have been a little, it's been a little bit, I'm not going to say easier, but it must be a little bit more nicer to do when it comes in regards to Newcastle United. But in your experience, Andy, of doing post-match press conference, post-match interviews with anybody, whether Newcastle or other managers, how difficult is it, if, say, when you're speaking to a manager and they've come out of, a, out of a defeat and try not to irritate them, shall we say? Or is that just part of the job? You know what? First things first, I've got to give a shout out to the guys who do it literally every single week. The people like Jeff Shreves, Patrick Davison, you know, the BBC commentators who are there. I, I do it, I tend to do it once every couple of weeks or so, every Newcastle home game, certainly. Um, and it is a very, very difficult job. And it's a real skill to be able to do. I know the amount of shit that the likes of, to use Patrick and Jeff as examples, they get. Uh, and I, I really struggle to understand that. You know, everyone can ask a, a daft question sometimes and it could be perceived as a daft question. But in reality, it's a fucking difficult position to be in when you've, you know, got, I don't know, Eric Ten Hag coming out of a, a, a huge 7-0 defeat and you haven't to ask him the hard questions at the end of the day. I had to get that in, by the way. Uh, that was <laughs> the other week. Um, but, yeah, trust me, it, it is a difficult job. It is easier, and you mentioned it there, Johnny, that it's easier when you've got a rapport with these players and you can kind of, you know, especially from a Newcastle side of things, whereas I have to be completely impartial, of course, because I've got to interview, you know, players from the opposition as well. But obviously being kind of a Newcastle reporter for Premier League, I've got more of a rapport with the players. So you can kind of just have a chat with them for 25 seconds, 30 seconds, while camera ops messing around, while audio is getting sorted out. You never chat with them and say, what the hell happened there? You know, what was that penalty decision all about? What was this about? I've had players give us absolutely class answers off the microphone and off the camera. I remember, what was it, Joe, Joe Willock, uh, that push against... Oh, oh Palace. Palace, Palace yeah. yes, Palace, sorry. Um, when, I mean, that was a penalty wholeheartedly and it was a goal, but, you know, we won't get into that. I said, Joe came in and immediately I just looked at him, he just looked at me and was like, what the hell? I was like, I've no idea. Like, And he just went into this kind of 20, 25 seconds of just pure you know, rant, I suppose, controlled rant. As soon as he steps up in front of the camera, as Joe always is, really, really professional, and he, he criticised it, but he criticised it in a perfectly normal way. But, you know, he, he gave that kind of rant away from camera, and that's what I tend to do with certainly the Newcastle players, but also as many other players as, as I get for post-match as well. Try and just have a chat with them beforehand and be like, look, really sorry about that, that must hurt. Yeah, it, it does. You know, and then they go into it. If you get them on a human level, they tend to be all right. And I'm, I'm not going to say who, but there are certain broadcasters out there that go out there trying to, you know, trying to rile them up. That's not me. That, that, that's not me at all. I kind of look at it from the standpoint of these guys are hurting. And I know a lot of fans will turn around and be like, they don't care. They don't care. The vast majority of footballers really fucking care. 
and you can see them hurting. You can see them really irritated by a game, by a result, by a decision, whatever it might be. And I think my job personally and individually is kind of to get that hurt out there to a wider audience rather than to rile them up. But yeah, it's there's been times before where, especially pre-takeover from a Newcastle standpoint, where, as we all know, the results weren't going our way. The performances certainly weren't what we would like to see at St. James's Park, certainly. Um, there were some difficult conversations had, some really difficult conversations had. But I must say that the vast majority of players I've dealt with, and it's a question I often get asked, who's been the worst that you've ever had? I mean, I who was it the other week? Um, uh, it was down at Nottingham Forest at Leicester, and it was a Leicester player, and he was captain for the day. And he was absolutely brilliant because I just asked him directly, Leicester in a relegation fight, aren't they? And he looked at me and I thought, oh, he's going to have a right dig at me here. He's going to turn around and he's going to hit me hard. Not physically, obviously, but metaphorically. Um, that would have been a story. But uh, he, in fairness to him, he just he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, recent results, recent performances. And he just saw the kind of veil drop a little bit. And he was about to give us a bit of pretty, pretty staged answer. And instead, I think he just thought to, to himself, fuck it. What else can I say? We are. We're playing terribly. We're not getting the results, et cetera, et cetera. And he gave me a really good answer. So, yeah, go back to your original question. It's a, it's a fucking tough job, but it's class. It's an absolutely class job. And again, to go back to what I was saying before about interviewing, whether it's at the training ground before a game, you know, two days before the game, whether it's 10 minutes after they've walked off the pitch at full time, I still adopt the same approach and everyone else might be different, but this is my approach. I just have a conversation with them, you know, just try and get what you can get out of them. And if you can go home thinking, you know what, I had a chat with that person and the chat, yeah, got broadcast to a few million people, that's fine. But it got the best out of them anyway. So that's my general approach to it. But yeah, sometimes it's a bit it's a bit difficult. It's it's interesting to say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, going back onto the, the the Newcastle squad, like the harmony and the team spirit is just from the outside looking in anyway, looks phenomenal at the minute. Um to mention a couple of names you've mentioned earlier, um, Dan Byrne and Sean Longstaff, Geordie's Newcastle through and through. Yeah. How important do you think it is to keep those sort of players around going forward when the squad's going to evolve and you know more players are going to be brought in as, as yeah. we go into more transfer windows? But keeping that kind of Geordie flavour in there, is that important going forward? It's imperative. I'd go further than to say it's important. It's an absolute necessity. You can see what they do, not, not just in and around the training ground on a daily basis, but for any newcomers as well. You know, I mean, look, Nick Pope is not Brazilian at the end of the day, but he, he joined the club obviously last summer. Him and Sean Longstaff have become completely inseparable. They're like best friends. And we did something with Bernie and Longy uh, back in the last year. And I remember asking one of the questions was like, what's the bromance like, you know, between who's got the best bromance? Is it Longy and Nick Pope or is it someone else? Is it like Bruno and Joe Linton, for instance? And he was like, no. Pope and Longy, without a shadow of a doubt, that you can hear them before you see them on a morning. They're just like there over breakfast, laughing over absolutely anything and all of that. Now, Nick's not a foreign player coming from abroad. Of course he's not. But literally within about two or three days, the local lads had kind of taken him under the wing and basically said, right, you know, this is the crack. This is the city. This is the club, etc." 
that's why they're so important. The likes of Bruno joining the club, the likes of Sven Botman. Sven and, and Sean have become really, really good friends. Uh, Alex Izak as well. You know, they've all been kind of welcomed into the fabric of the club, but the fabric of the Northeast and the city too. And people like Dan and Sean and, you know, I'll, I'll throw another name in there as well. Jacob Murphy. I know Jacob's yeah. not married, but he's a Newcastle fan at the end of the day. And we're sitting down with him this week, which I, I genuinely cannot wait for because Jacob, obviously, the way that our interviews work and the way who we interview, it depends on appearances. So all the first teamers, you know, the ones who are play, playing week in, week out, have to do a minimum of two interviews per season. And that's why Jacob, we rarely get him in front of a camera because obviously he makes a lot of sub-appearances. But in terms of starts, doesn't make too many. He qualifies now. So he's sitting down with Sean on uh, Friday this week. And I can't wait to chat to Jacob because he's another one that I would throw into that bracket. He's great to have around. Every squad needs a Dan Byrne. They need a Sean Longstaff. They need a Jacob Murphy. They need them, not just from the point of view that they play the fool and they're great laughs to have around the training ground, but they're the hardest workers as well. Very, very hard workers too. Eddie's said numerous times this season, Jacob Murphy is one of the best trainers at the club. He's top of pretty much every chart. He does this without any seconds hesitation. And he's a fabulous person to have around the team. And I think, as controversial as it may sound, those players are just as important as a Sven Botman, as an Alex Izak, as a Bruno Gimaraes. Because you don't get anywhere unless you've got team spirit. And like you rightly pointed out before, Sam, that spirit at Newcastle at the moment is absolutely incredible. It's it's steely. It's unbreakable at the moment. You can see it in every game. Obviously, you can see it more so in every win. But Dan, Sean, Jacob, Elliot Anderson will come into his own, I think, as well, being a Geordie lad naturally and, and coming through and, and starting to really impress as well. Uh, I think he'll become a big part of that. Slightly different character to, to Jacob, to Sean, to Dan, who are very, very loud and very, very out. But Elliot's a bit quieter, but he's a lot younger. Um, but they are hugely important to where Newcastle go. Dan will be around for a good few years yet. Sean, hopefully, will be around for a good few years because there was once upon a time that I feared for, for Sean's future at Newcastle and I hoped he would stay, but obviously he went through what he went through in 2020, 2021. And to come out the other side of that and to be producing the performances that he's done this season and be as strong mentally as he has been this season as well is why I silently although not so silently now, believe that Sean is probably one of the players of the season for me uh, because of what he's done and what he's come through. But to do that, and Jacob as well, you can throw into that bracket, uh, to be a part of the squad, to do what they've done, not just on the pitch, but more off it, has been one of the standout stories of the season for me from a Newcastle perspective. Yeah, always been a staunch uh, Sean Longstaff defender. And yeah. I know I've always been of the opinion that look, we know all about Jacob Murphy's ability and he's not for everyone, but had we won that cup final, I would have wanted to have been out with Jacob Murphy that night. Oh my god, I just want a night out with Jacob Murphy. You see exactly. that video of him, like back in the day when we had the stack in town, and he's swinging around the blooming uh, the heaters and everything like that, singing Newcastle chants. I mean, look, he's a sensational. And we're not even got into the shit housing, which oh. let's face it is has been another story of this. Yeah, the wave to Coletta Char. Uh, the look towards Marco Silva was it as well when he was like like that uh, you know the the being subbed off uh, as a sub but literally trotting off with the biggest smile on his face I mean 
look, fair play to the lad. He's come through some shit at the club. And he is a what a what a tremendous bloke. And you're right, you know, if we'd won down at Wembley, yeah, I mean, it just would have been sensational to go out with any members of that team because I can imagine it would have been a really, really good party. But Jacob, yeah, he's he comes across as such a such a lovely lad. I, I think I've interviewed him once, and it was a few years ago now. Um, but he comes across as just that guy, and the shit housing is just sensational. I'm a big, big fan of of shit housing in general, whether it's Newcastle, whether it's any other club. But Jacob's kind of taken that and ran with it this season, really. I don't know whether he does it intentionally. Probably going to chat to him about it on Friday. But I, I don't know whether it's just his personality. I think it is. I think it's just his character to be a bit cheeky, a bit mischievous, and to do that sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's just getting the statue. That, that, <laughs> and we're loads of people kicked off about it. And we're like, well, it's against the spirit of the game and all of that. And, yeah, I think... All the top few... teams do it. Yeah, of course they do. You know, I mean, look at... Look at Manchester United, Bruno Fernandes. I mean, that's a different kind of shithousery that we're talking about there, as opposed to Jacob, who's a lot more impish, shall we say, a lot more kind of cute with it, you know, it, the wave, the kind of the look, everything like that. Yeah, tremendous bloke. I, I'd just love to go for a pint with him in general and just to see where the night took us. But uh, yeah, get the ladder statue if, uh, if and when he does leave the club. Tremendous, absolutely tremendous. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. We've got, we've got obviously a few more questions before we wrap things up with you, Andy. Um, yeah. you, you talk about player of the season, you talk about Sean Longstaff getting, deserving an honourable mention, rightly mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Is it almost impossible to choose a player of the season because of how well Newcastle have done and the fact that so many players have been absolutely incredible? I think we've spoken to a couple of guests and they've given us a few different names, but if I had to put you on the spot of just one person to say who is your player of the season so far, who would it be? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, the honourable mentions, I'll go with them first and then I'll pick one. All right. Honourable mentions, Miggy, without a shadow of a doubt, top scorer, <laughs> scored the goal of a season against Fulham. Not for Newcastle, but for, for the Premier League. If that doesn't finish goal of a season, I would be devastated. It was incredible. Miggy for definite. Um, and he sets the standards as well, not just offensively, defensively. Him and Trips down that right side formed a big, big part of that kind of run just before the World Cup where we were nigh on unstoppable. Uh, so Miggy's up there. Bruno's up there. Joel Linton's certainly up there, I would say. Joel Linton quietly, I think, even though his goals and assists don't necessarily reflect it, I think he's been absolutely fantastic this season. And I think we did miss him in the last couple of games. I know we won, but we did miss him. A lot in that centre midfield position. He's kind of made himself undroppable now. In that, who would have thought anyone would be saying that about Joe Linton? That's incredible. I mean, it's 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 a better renaissance than than Leonardo da Vinci, isn't it? Really, when it comes down to when it comes down to Joe Linton. Um, so you've got Joe Linton, um, Fabian Cher. I, I, I'm going to put Fabian Cher. Nick Pope is right up there as well. I think Pope has been absolutely brilliant. Yes, he's been a bit shaky, hasn't he? in recent weeks that Wolves game I was very nervous uh, on a couple of occasions when you know the ball went back to him especially after what happened to him against Liverpool which was just horrible for him but my player of the season I'm giving some more honourable mentions that player of the season Kieran Trippier Kieran Trippier without a, a shadow of a doubt almost because that man not just what he does in terms of what stats and what metrics he leads 
in the Premier League, not just at Newcastle, in the Premier League, chances created, crosses put in, etc. Not just the free kicks he scored, and I think we'll all remember that one against Manchester City, more certainly at the Gallagher, which was just an incredible hit. But it's his leadership, it's his organisation, it's the fact that he has literally moulded that team under him that has driven us on and on and on. And he's also provided me with my moment of the season, which was the penalty against Nottingham Forest too, um, which is still, uh, I say still, I mean, it only happened a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But genuinely, that smirk and the whole absorb, it was, it was just Kieran Trippier. He just absorbed all the pressure, absorbed all the people, all the players and goalkeeper putting him off and just to smile and go, no worries, pass it on Alex. And obviously Alex still had a job to do, but he just absorbed it all for, for Alex. And it's what he does off the ball rather than just on the ball. And it's what he does off the pitch as well. I've seen little things around trips. Was it Maxi who was coming in for an interview? Uh, it was against Man City after that incredible performance against City where he just ran... Carl Walker, ragged. And Trips, they're going in for a double interview with Sky afterwards. And Trips is walking past us and, you know, shook their hands, etc. As they're walking away from me, Trips puts his arm around Maxi, away from the cameras and everything, and just says, this is what you can do. This is what you can do. I want to see this every single damn week from you. I won't use his exact language. But he, before they even went into an interview, that's Kieran Trippier. And I think that's why he's my player of the season. He has reshaped and reformed Newcastle United from a leadership standpoint. And I think he's he should be right up there. But you can make a case for pretty much anyone in that starting eleven, I suppose. You can. And of course the week after that, Maxi scores that wonder goal against Wolves to equalise in like the last minute and then gets injured and then oh it's so frustrating for him. Yeah. But 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 you think Trippier will go down sort of like in Newcastle history as, as the player that kind of started it all, being that first signing post-takeover? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was I was hearing a, a good friend of mine, Ollie Bernard, on BBC Newcastle the other night, and he was saying, I, I genuinely thought he was he was just coming from... I remember Tripp's first press conference and doing his, his kind of one of his first interviews, and you could see it in his eyes that it wasn't about money. He, he'd been sold this. Yes, it was about coming back to England. He always wanted to do that. And, you know, he is a northerner at the end of the day. But he could see what how big Newcastle could be. This wasn't just a final payout for him. He wanted to basically lead Newcastle into a new era. And he has absolutely done that. Absolutely done it. You just got the sense straight away that this is a different sort of standard. With all due respect to any other player who played for you, I'd never ever badmouth a player because they, they, they do a, a difficult job at the end of the day. But Kieran Trippier was that kind of next level and you could see it in him. Bruno was quite similar, turning up and talking about Champions League when we were second bottom. You know, <laughs> this is that next level of elite player that come in and, yeah, everything about Trips has just screamed professionalism ever since he's come to the club. He's been brilliant in front of camera, off camera, on the ball, off the ball, on the pitch, off the pitch. You cannot pick a fault with what Trips has done so far at Newcastle. And like I say, you know, they were, I'm not a betting man, but I'd have stuck me mortgage, me house, everything on Kieran Trippier being named on-field captain for Newcastle this season before it had kicked off because you could just see that was the way it was going. Uh, but what he's done for the club is, is nothing short of remarkable. He will be remembered for years to come, not just as the first person to take the punt, on Newcastle because he could have been the first person he could have done precisely fuck all yeah. but 
he's gone on to just not just be a fan's favourite, but to literally reshape that club in terms of its leadership model on the pitch and off the pitch as well. And as well, just to point out, he's worked so well with Jamal. You know, Jamal yeah. does a lot of work off the pitch. Eddie's mentioned this a couple of times in his press conference saying, you know, honourable mention to what Jamal Lascelles is doing off the pitch. He hasn't whinged. He hasn't mourned about being dropped, about not being the on-field captain. He's gone on and led off the pitch as well around the training ground. You know, picked up a couple of yellow cards as a substitute, which was absolutely tremendous. Um, but he's been brilliant. But the way Trips has worked with him and they've stayed, you know, really good mates as well. You know, I think has helped the harmony of that group because it would have been terrible if the on-field captain and the off-field captain had been a bit awkward. There's been none of that, uh, and I think that's really, really helped as well. So between them, yeah, they've they've done a brilliant job. But trips has been trips has been magnificent, absolutely magnificent. Finally, one word answer: Are Newcastle playing in the Champions League next season? Hmm. Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. That's all we needed. That's all we needed. <laughs> I, I think, don't I really. Optimism. We, we need a bit of optimism, don't we, after the Carabao Cup final. So, yeah, I fear about Liverpool. I, I fear about Liverpool and Brighton. No one's talking about Brighton. Do I fear Spurs? Not really. I think that club's in a little bit of a mess right now, obviously, with the Conte business. But Newcastle are right up there. Newcastle, Liverpool, Brighton are my three that are going to be going for that fourth position. Top three are out. I think now, but beat Manchester United this weekend, which I feel like we've got a very, very good opportunity to do so because we're better than we were five weeks ago. Uh, we're, we're starting to go on a run again. And I think that we could well be in. But we've got who else at home? Tottenham, Arsenal at home. Brighton. These are big televised matches, big crowds, big times on a weekend as well. <sighs> yeah. Champions League anthem at St. James's Park. Why not? Let's Let's do it next season. <laughs> That wasn't a Andy, yeah. So <laughs> I can't wait. We can't wait. And it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green and Emotion. We'll really, really enjoyed it. We could have spoken for about three, four hours, a bit like your interviews with Dan Bird. But we'll we, honestly we'll have to do this again in the near near future. But uh, Sam, where can everybody listen to this podcast? Links are all in the description. If you're listening on iTunes, hit the five star review, and if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button as well. From myself, Jonathan Green, my co-host Sam Milner, and today's guest Andy Sixsmith. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV